0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 125. We're finally at five cubed. This was always our goal.
1: Yeah, we could just shut the whole thing down after this. Uh,
0: I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And
1: uh, I I don't know if this Comcast thing counts as follow-up, but can I, before we talk about the rest of the show, can I just complain? Yeah, complain. That's what the show's named for. Yeah, I I feel like I I don't need permission, but I, you know, just in case you're in like a sunshine and rainbows mood, you probably don't want to hear about Comcast, but Comcast. (laughs) So... They, I'm I'm not going to tell the whole story of them being a giant pain in my ass and the extra editing work I've had to do the last few episodes because there were like these massive Skype catastrophes. Thanks a lot, Comcast. But what I really want to know is, uh, and this is as much a question to you as, as anyone in the audience who who might be able to offer some insight, but should it be the responsibility of the consumer to monitor their damn network? Because... When I've been having all these problems, I have reached out to their support and I've told them, you know, fine, we'll do the dance. I'll restart my modem. I'll restart the, the router. I'll reset everything. I'll reconfigure everything. I'll check each, each section of the, the line. I'll do all these things I got to do because, you know, that, that's me being a good consumer. But finally, I asked, uh, how do you guys not know that there are, like, problems on the network? And their response was basically like, Well, we don't monitor the network. We can't monitor the network. And I was like, You can't? What do you (laughs) mean you can't?
0: So you aren't harvesting any data about me and my usage of the internet?
1: (laughs) Well, this is pretty much my point, is we know that they monitor network usage. So would it really be and they don't have I, I would prefer that they don't monitor every single thing that I do every single second of every day, but It's difficult for me to believe that it would be impossible or prohibitively difficult for them to say, hey, one of our customers' modem is offline. Like, Even if they only checked every 15 minutes or every hour, I get that they have a lot of customers, but is network monitoring not a presumed part of running
0: a network? (laughs) They want to be responsible for the quality. They want to promise the quality. They want to get away with not delivering on that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and and this is uh something i came to realize while i was waiting on like a 30 minute hold i was combing through their terms of service and do you know what the the promised uptime guarantee is to customers nothing nothing There isn't one, so if you're down for twenty nine days out of a thirty day month, I'm sure they would give you a refund, but they are not obligated to give you one
0: and they'll make sure the way they note this refund
1: is not mentioned as a refund, as we've discussed. Oh my God, did that come up on the show? I think it did, yeah, just to make yeah, just to make sure since we're talking about it, I got these two credits on my account from all of the shenanigans that were called speed increases. And that's just <laughs> oh god the whole thing they do is so shady but I I really I mean I don't think you know much more about networking infrastructure like the actual hardware and the business of it than I do but almost nothing. <laughs> do you think as a consumer it is reasonable for a business to say, "Well, you got to let us know if the if it goes down?" Does that seem reasonable to you if there was any bit of
0: like even if you don 't want to say a business has to do that, um, the fact that they have no competition in most places means they don 't <laughs> have to do that um, well, and that 's true what, This is the free market what the free market is getting us is the market will bear <laughs> this terrible company, so they get to they get to win.
1: Does this count as free market? They have a monopoly. No, it's, it's <laughs> this is not really is like a free the, market.
0: Uh, the opposite of a it's free a market. It's n- a natural monopoly of who got to own the stuff buried in the ground that was purchased through government
1: grants and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I I know we have at least one listener who is way more familiar with the the guts of networking infrastructure than than I am and than you are. If anybody wants to tell me why this would be a realistically unreasonable burden for Comcast to monitor their own network performance and to take proactive steps, I would love to hear it. And I'm not going to accept, like, well, it would cut into their profits because that's not an acceptable reason. Doing a good job will lower our profit margin. I know that's a good business reason, but I want to know if there is a technological reason that this is not feasible.
0: Yeah. Well, the the best controls on this, given the nature of our market, to me, I've seen is like when Netflix used to publish, they probably still do publish like the how Netflix performs on all the different ISPs. Oh, yeah. Like that kind of public (laughs) shaming thing about something people care about, which don't take your Netflix away from someone because they will throw a huge (laughs) fit. That's how important it is to daily American life now. Um that we need those kinds of things those very tangible hey spotify just doesn't work on this mobile network because it's just so bad you know sorry sprint but you can't use verizon's pitch man to claim you have as good of a network um,
1: oh did they do that did they buy that guy
0: yeah, and they they have them directly address it like, "Yeah, you may have used to hear me say, can you hear me now?" but turns out all the networks are pretty good now and Sprint is cheaper, so switch. And then oh Verizon <laughs> Verizon answered and said, "Yeah, they hired our old guy because Sprint's network caught up with where it was then."
1: Oh my god, that's <laughs> just, amazing. Perfect
0: burn. Which I mean, I I hate most of the carriers. Seems like T-Mobile is a pretty cool guy most of the time, but um <laughs> The one thing you have to give Verizon is their network is better. Um, they cost way more, and they're still yes. a terrible company, but they have a better network.
1: Yeah, I. every time someone asks me, like, oh, I'm thinking about changing providers, the one of the first things I'll ask them is, do you frequently leave where you live and work? Because <laughs> if you only spend time where you live and work and T-Mobile has good coverage there, just get T-Mobile. If they don't, or if you travel a lot, then you probably have to pay the extra money to go to Verizon. But T-Mobile is the only company I get even like close to good feelings about. Yeah. And, and I mean, AT&T. Nobody likes AT&T. Nobody. <laughs> the, red, the, the blue circle, their logo doesn't like being the AT&T logo. <laughs> he's a self-hating logo. He's, you can tell. He's trying to merge those stripes together and become the Pepsi logo. <laughs> But I, anyway,
0: then, I, <laughs> then he, he still wouldn't be coke, but at least he'd be like a legitimate
1: part of society. <laughs> uh, <AT&T laughs> suck. Um, so this other thing uh, I, I kind of want to talk about, and I, I put in the in our show notes here that I'm, I'm really not trying to be political about this. Um, but I I kind of like if you want to be political about this, like I'm not against it. I just that's not why I wanted to bring this topic up. But the you know there, there's all this uh, all the, the tragedies that happened in Orlando and and uh, what happened with the bills that didn't pass and then the Democrats did a sit-in and what I want to talk about just because I think it's kind of interesting is not the the fact that they had to do that not the the gun debate is apparently the cameras that are in Congress are owned and run by Congress. And the feed that they put out is like licensed or given freely to C-SPAN. But apparently they're not obligated to do that. There's no like law or anything that says they have to turn those cameras on if something's happening in Congress. So during the uh, sit-in, the speaker of the house has the final authority on whether or not those cameras are turned on. And he said, no. And He didn't seem to realize that every single person in that room was carrying what used to be considered a like professional quality television studio around (laughs) in their pocket. And so all of these Congress people that were there for the sit in were just streaming it on Facebook Live and on Periscope and, and whatever else. I don't know. Meerkat, maybe. And then C-SPAN actually was rebroadcasting those feeds. And because they're a news organization, I'm sure that their lawyers were just like, it's fine, it's news, don't even worry about rebroadcasting yeah. another company's feed, like, just do it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think this is, again, if you want to talk about the politics, we can, but uh, but the thing that I'm, I'm most interested in for the the topic of flipping tables is just how freaking cool is that yeah that you know like the government was like oh we're not gonna let you stream this and they were just like wrong <laughs> <laughs> like we all have cameras moron
0: yeah it's, it is one of those like things you never realize until a situation like this happens and you're like oh wait c-span really is completely under the thumb of the government they have no like journalistic freedom to do what they want to do in congress and They've been trying for decades to get the rules changed so that they control the cameras, and it's like actually transparent what happens in
1: Congress. Um, I mean, is this not a a a? It 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 can't be considered private property, right? Like, isn't what happens within the walls of Congress? I don't want to say public domain, but. Kind of like public domain, like it the public yeah. has a right to know or or do we not? I would have assumed we do, but now I'm not so well, sure. when
0: Congress is in session, yeah. And I guess there's some wrangling about whether they were technically in session. The sit-in was kind of like this civil disobedience of forcing it to kind of be in session when it wasn't. Yeah. And so it's like it's all this, you know, bureaucracy you can get into of like that's <laughs> why we didn't have to turn the cameras on. And <laughs> but you know, the spirit of the what C-SPAN is about is, come on, they should be <laughs> showing this. But, you know, majority party, obviously, this doesn't look good, so they don't want that. But it, doesn't it look worse <laughs> when you prevent it from being shown? It's dry sanding it, kind
1: of. Yes, this this shows a fundamental lack of understanding about how the technology works, because you would think when the message came across the speaker's desk saying, because apparently they sent requests saying, hey, I know we're at a session, but this thing's happening. Uh, people probably are going to want to know about this thing. Can we turn the cameras on? And instead of saying, oh, my God, we just have to say yes, because they're going to use their phones to record yeah. it. We ha- it. We either let it out and we don't make a big deal out of it, or we let it out and we make a big deal out of it, but it's going to get out. <laughs> like, you would think you know they would just choose the quick death instead of the slow bleed <laughs> but i don't know i've never had a gun to my head so maybe i'd also make the wrong decision but uh, oh it's just like and some of some of the the congress people in there do not strike me as technological geniuses but here's the thing you only had to have one person in that room who said hey everyone who has an iphone or an android phone right now install this app and then we're going to stream this all live right now, you know? And like, that's <laughs> good. Like, I'm really thankful that that technology is so distributed and so basically just freely available to anyone that this kind of almost citizen journalism, I mean, they're Congress people, but it, it, it citizen journalism is basically what had to happen to make this possible. Uh, you know, even just 10 years ago, that would have, that would not have happened. We would have had to have read about it on a blog the next day that there had been the sit-in or that the sit-in was ongoing, but instead you could just like tune in.
0: (laughs) So speaking of live streaming things, what entirely new product did Google just invent?
1: (laughs) Google just (laughs) invented YouTube live streaming from a mobile device. And this is so unbelievable that this wasn't already in the mobile app that I actually thought I was (laughs) reading an old article. I was like, oh, they added YouTube streaming like a feature or like some new thing you can do? Oh, no, they literally just added it for the first time. (laughs) And the timing is a tiny bit suspect. Like, I kind of wonder if this huge news thing happened in the media and then you know someone at youtube was like crap that switch we've been sitting on for like five years (laughs) can we just flip it (laughs) they really should have been streaming that on youtube but now periscope and facebook got like all this free yeah crap (laughs) (laughs)
0: video is our unassailable monopoly right now yeah
1: yeah so that's and and even more ridiculous is they didn't just turn it on for everyone, they turned it on for like certain YouTube influencers. People. Yeah, think think influencers. And then they're they're gonna roll it out to everyone. Which, you know, that's not inconsistent with Google's way of doing things. We give it to a certain group of people and then we we start to roll it out more broadly, <laughs> particularly with YouTube because they are trying to make successful youtubers happy before they give it to like plebeians but eh. yeah this is a
0: this staged rollout thing is always kind of been dubious with google it worked amazingly well for gmail but that's because a gmail account can talk to any email account and it worked catastrophically bad for you know wave and And buzz and anything that was like yeah sort of like a new thing where the network effect mattered and it wasn't interoperable in the same way that email was so but i mean this is different this is a concept people are already familiar with um and well
1: and it's only for publishing of course you can watch someone else's live stream
0: so (laughs) Uh, But I'm I'm still stuck that you said thinkfluencers, and now I'm thinking about thinkfluenza, like a really clever virus or something. (laughs) Maybe it's it's an epidemic of influencers.
1: (laughs) It kind of does feel that way whenever you're in a room and someone uses that word and people don't see it as sarcasm. (laughs) It's like, oh God, everyone in this room has thinkfluenza. (laughs) But this, Uh, I. Should we get to the meat of the show, the real, the delicious door-flavored meat?
0: (laughs) Yeah. What's on your mind? Why is
1: this? Why are you thinking about this? Why am I thinking about doors? Yeah. So so, uh, I had a few experiences in, in close succession recently that got me really thinking about user experience and how much of a user's experience is perceived versus based on like actual logic. And the reason it kind of centered around doors is uh, an anecdote that I, I read about a long time ago and, and this thing that just happened. So we just replaced several of the doors in our house, right? We plan on living here for a long time. We want to, like, do some upgrades. I have two small children. I want them behind doors that are, like, solid so that they, they can't hear noise from the rest of the house when they're napping. And the the crew installed the doors which is a fairly involved thing, by the way. Like putting in a door is not just like oh, I bought a new door and I'm going to hang it up. Like it's a <laughs> whole thing. Um, but they installed the doors, and the doors we had before were hollow core. Which, if you're not a construction, that a musical genre. It is it, hollow core. It's like shoegaze or uh, or headphone wearing. Um, <laughs> headphone wearing is my favorite. And the hollow core doors are, they're basically paper mache. I mean, it's a piece of crap. It's cardboard inside with like fake wood glued to the outside. They're total. And you know it when you touch one, when you pull open a door and you feel like the Hulk because it opens so easily, that is a hollow core door. (laughs) And then these are solid core doors, which means it's, it's not solid wood, but it's filled with kind of like a wood pulp so that it's like sturdy and feels good. Yeah. And the old doors were from when the house was originally built, so they were kind of crooked because the hinges had started to sag as the house settled. And these are, like, brand new, and they're perfectly square and aligned. <laughs> and after they were done, and I put my hand on the knob, and I opened it, and it like, it like I could feel the weight, and, like, it swung and, like, nice and smooth and quiet. The hinges didn't creak. And then I closed it, and it made, like, a nice, like, kerchunk when it closed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, these doors are awesome, which makes me feel either like a – I'm a natural-born UX genius, and that needs to become my career path, or more likely, I am old, and now stupid, boring things excite me. <laughs> <laughs> excited about Adora. It's, that's about as dad of a thing I can think of. <laughs> but, but, but before I let you dive into your amazingly detailed notes you have... <laughs> yeah, um, thanks the, a lot. <laughs> the, oh, they're so good. I'm, I'm excited for this. But the 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 anecdote that I heard a long time ago was... When cars uh, first started to move from being made out of steel to, you know, fiberglass and plastic composites and things, they had to have engineers specifically design the doors so that when they closed, they closed solidly. And it, it felt like the door was properly shut because people were actually complaining about this. Yeah. They said that the door felt flimsy. It felt like it was going to fall off. So they actually redesigned the closing mechanism and the hinges and the way the acoustics vibrate in the door to make it sound like a solid you know object, like you were securely closed behind this door, and a bad door it, is like a flimsy handshake,
0: you like judge the person <laughs> you
1: you totally do and and when i I related this story to my father, he said, "Well, have you ever noticed when you test drive a car they always close the door for you, and it's not a courtesy, it's because they want you to sit down and they're going to close it kind of hard so that you get that like, yeah, I'm in the car now and the car is closed. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> like how much of user experience is tricking people into thinking the right thing, but for the wrong reasons.
0: <laughs> well, I, my basic position can be boiled down to that kid in the matrix that says there is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we could explain i feel like uh you know as you brought up this topic over text and i basically ended up writing a book here and i'm like i mean i need to like teach a survey course on doors now um because i just kept thinking about it and it just kept going and going and going and it's like there's always this temptation with user experience to be like there's functionality and we can explain it and it's pure logic it's rigid it's based only on facts and then there's aesthetics and we paint things and we make door sounds certain ways and we we <laughs> do all this fancy you know prancy dance stuff to to make something feel nice and that you know one of these is the real science and one of them is this stupid annoying human thing we have to deal with and <laughs> i think this whole division and this, maybe this is a straw man a bit but um I think you can't really make that division um I mean we distinguish between these things, but they're always both happening and even if you like if you try to i'm sort of skipping to the second half, but I want to talk about doors more <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's uh if you if you try to pretend that there's some one hundred percent neutral objective way to make a door. Um, you're just introducing all these unintended stories and experiences and cultural (laughs) symbols that you aren't aware of. And now who knows what you're making because you think you're being (laughs) purely functional, but the end result is, uh, I don't know... (laughs) Try to think Just of an the, the monolithic rectangle from 2001? Yeah. It's, is, is that uh, the perfect door? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, doors are so many things. Um, you know, what is a door for? Uh, what kind of door? <laughs> um, you know, a door is about access uh, primarily, um, but a door is also security. It's a barrier. It's, you know, sometimes it's a visual barrier, but not always. Sometimes it's a sound barrier, but it's not always. not always. <laughs> And sometimes it's weather barriers, and not always. Screen doors are not visual, sound, or weather barriers whatsoever. Um, They're bug barriers. Yeah. So there's some kind <laughs> of barrier. Um, they might be fireproof, they might be spa- vacuum of space proof. Um, all doors have rituals of entry. You knock, or you ring a doorbell, or there's a code, or you let yourself in. And like there's, there's so much cultural story always going on with your interaction with a door. That it, I don't feel like, like if you want to boil it down to, well, does it sound solid or not? Wow, humans are stupid. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but there's there's so much going on when you deal with a door. Is it a saloon door? Is it
1: a pharaoh's tomb? Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, like your porch this, doors, you th- might have French doors. If, if there
1: aren't already PhDs <laughs> written on this subject, people right now are thinking like, I should write my PhD about this. <laughs> and.
0: I mean, when you see a door, you know, you kind of interpret a lot of things. You know, what what is behind this door? Is it a closet? Is it obviously a closet? Um, people don't usually put French doors on their closets. Um,
1: um, you if you're in it? the
0: right kind of house. Yeah, I guess if you're Richie Rich or something. <laughs> but <laughs> And so all these things go into it. And it's not just um, does the door work, as, as if you could even define what that means, because your goals change.
1: (laughs) So this, I guess this brings me to if, if you have a a clearly defined set of goals, like say for me, when we replaced the kids bedroom doors, it was important that they be a better sound barrier than they were originally. Right. So we Mm -hmm. had like a clearly defined goal as well as do other things like not creak, not fall off, not, be filled with spiders you know other <laughs> <laughs> is that a problem it, it hasn't been so far. What kind but of pulp they using. <laughs> it's always on my list. I never want any of my things filled with I spiders. I think that's how Australia makes doors. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put them all somewhere. But if you if you have your clearly defined list, do you also implicitly have this list of here are my preconceived notions about what will signify that these goals have been met. So if you could hang something in front of my daughter's room that looked exactly like a screen door with holes in it. And it looked like it belonged on the the front of a farmhouse in like a a pop culture movie. And yet somehow it kept light and sound and spiders (laughs) out. Like, would I be able to tolerate that? And granted, there's an obvious conversation about aesthetics to be had here. Like, I don't want it to look like a screen (laughs) door, but why don't I want it to look like a screen door? Because I've been conditioned that a screen door wouldn't meet these goals. And could I overcome that appearance if it met the goals? And I honestly don't know if... I don't think people work that way because if someone presented me with... A glass of what definitely looked like filthy crap water, and a glass <laughs> of clean-looking water, and said both of these are exactly as safe to drink. The crap water is just a hologram. Yeah, I'd still go for the clean-looking water because I don't, I don't really benefit from overcoming this preconceived notion.
0: Well, and these are. You know, a lot of people would speculate these are like evolutionary shortcuts that we've ingrained that can be tricked and made to look stupid in contrived situations, like putting a screen door on your kid's door, a a (laughs) magical futuristic screen door
1: (laughs) that functions otherwise like a normal door. Um, Well, so take the the car door example. It is – from the car manufacturer's point of view, it is easier to – engineer a door that sounds like it is made out of solid metal, but isn't than to educate people on the security features of a modern construction car door. Like yeah. that, that is mind blowing to me that someone probably crunched the numbers and said, it'll be easier to pay engineers than to take the risk of educating every single customer.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's just inertia, cultural inertia. I mean, it, it takes time to to overcome that, but it also the story can spread. You know, if if enough of our cars start having flimsy sounding doors, but they're, I don't know, a lot of it really does is about what's visible and what's what what makes its case to users visually, because you know the the classic smartphone app example is the app that takes the time to draw a UI that shows you nothing but implies that it's working. Um,
1: <laughs> hey, guys, I'm right here. I'm just getting the information. Yeah,
0: the, the imp- that has to slow down the actual work. It's probably minuscule, and that's why they judge it's totally worth it. Um, but because of that, it can tell the story to the user of, hey, I didn't crash. Um, I'm actually trying to fetch this stuff. And it, you know, it's not just going to write a sentence like "once upon a time," an app was loading, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know these things are like, they're lying to you because they aren't really telling you about the progress and they might be in a holding pattern and actually you have no network and um, eventually you're going to realize it's lying and get mad. Um, but it's still better to tell that story to the user than to just have opaque saying nothing, even if it's technically faster for the app. <laughs> um, or at least that's what you have to weigh when you create a feature. Is like, you know, it it is really frustrating when something that, is complete, like Apple's made this mistake sometimes, like their iCloud syncing is completely invisible. It is totally opaque. And that's a problem if you're going to yank your device out of the network and go work you know, in a desert for some reason, or, you know, there's plenty of non-crazy places you might go <laughs> where where you you thought, you know, you, do, you were telling me zero things, so I kind of assumed I had the latest data. And whereas Dropbox and Google Drive, they have, you know, now OS level supported like green check marks that are very, very explicit about which files are up to date and which ones aren't. Um, I, I, don't think those are usually lying, <laughs> but, and they actually if you quit Dropbox, they take the icons off so they don't tell, they aren't lying to you about what's up to date because they don't know. Um, I don't, we got kind of far afield. I do want to say that doors <laughs> suck all the time and, you know, I mentioned all kinds of doors and I wouldn't want it to be implicit that I'm saying all of these door types are perfectly well-founded user experiences, um. The classic is a door with a big flat rectangle that you're actually supposed to pull and not push or vice versa what looks like a push a horizontal push bar and you're supposed to pull it everywhere so many office buildings even like Wells Fargo who probably has billions of dollars puts in these confusing doors and
1: it blows my mind um yeah and that see, the reason <laughs> that kind of thing is so frustrating is because they so i'll let me jump back to say like uh, i think a great example of someone making an intentional design change so that they can change people's minds is Apple, right? We're going to take ports off this thing, or we're going to change the way it works, or we're going to change the way it looks. We're going to change the whole paradigm. Your
0: non-updated app is going to be blown up to
1: two times the size and look really blurry. <laughs> yeah, as our way of punishing you and also kind of the developers, but mostly you, the user. But but like with the MacBook One or the original MacBook Air, you know, they took all the ports off because that's their way of saying, like, this is where things are going. So get your mind thinking about this right now because eventually they're all going to be like this. So they are actually trying to get users to, to think differently.
0: And just like waking someone up from a dream, it pisses people off
1: a lot. And It, t- it totally does. But with the door thing and with a, what I feel like are a lot of UX decisions, uh, I don't think Wells Fargo is trying to get people to think, well, you know, sometimes uh, handles are meant for pushing. It's like, no, you're not trying to change the paradigm of what a handle means. Handles <laughs> <Yeah>. mean pulling. <laughs> Your goal is not to reinvent push handles <laughs> and turn them – or pull handles to turn them into push handles. You just suck at life. So yeah. I with with those kinds of things – if they are trying to make a, a a fundamental shift in the way their users think, then I'm like, okay, so your goal as a company is to change the user experience. If you're not trying to do that and you have a crap user experience, then you just have a crap user experience.
0: Yeah. Um, I was thinking of other things that doors suck at. Um, I mean, <laughs> you you mentioned the chunk-chunk chink and being like, yeah, when you closed it. But, you know, it should be obvious when a door is closed. You ever lived or stayed in an older place where you thought you closed the door and then a couple hours wh- later, uh, basically what you assume to be a ghost has pushed through the door because it didn't oh, actually I, latch? <laughs> several
1: of the doors I just replaced you would say like, oh, that door is definitely closed. And then the air would turn on and it would be like, hey, I'm going to open up a little bit. <laughs> like <laughs> n- no air conditioning. That is not what I asked you to do. I hope you don't piss your pants. I'm opening. <laughs>
0: uh. And I mean, there's there's lots of usability things. Can you operate the door with one hand when you're not looking closely? Are you carrying stuff in? Is it easy to use, um, et cetera? Um, you know, the doors in our current apartment are disastrously bad. Um, they, they they it must be just temperature nonsense because they must have warped into strange shapes and now they they close so tightly that let's say I go to bed later and Shelby had closed the door on the bedroom. I have to wake her up to go in. There is no way to open that door quietly. It's just... <laughs> and I think she's gotten kind of used to it, but, you know, there's definitely a night or two where it's just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then I feel so bad because, you know, I'm, g- I'm going to bed at midnight and she has
1: to get up earlier than me and it's just like, damn it. <laughs> the... I really, I think in in another life, I could get into UX as a career because these are the kinds of things that it's like infrastructure. Like if your door opens and closes and it's whisper quiet and the knob or handle or whatever functions exactly the way you expected it to, you don't really think like, oh man, that was one well-designed door. You only notice that crap when it is completely and utterly broken in what seems like it can completely an utterly unacceptable way to be broken so like if you notice those kinds of things which i i think i do quite a bit more than than the average person might you definitely do like way <laughs> way more than the average person does like you would probably kill it in UX because all those little paper cuts would scream at you like the sun in Rick and Morty (laughs) way before the product ever got to the end user. Your doors would be awesome.
0: (laughs) I should start a door company. I should buy a boat. Um, But it it is like, it is tempting to be, to try to, to put on objective scientist hat and be like, you know, if you're talking about an app, it's like it's clicks in milliseconds and actions per minute. And, you know, measurable results. And I, I, I'm trying to think of good examples. I haven't been working in UX, so I would probably have more examples of things that were like, Hey, a a user using this interface could build 10 more courses than someone who was using the old one. But then you ship it and you see what actual people do with the Apple watch Apple. And you realize (laughs) (laughs) that your design has some serious flaws and it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's faster, but not in practice for real people. And you, unless you don't want to make stuff for real
1: people, you're going to have to grapple with this. What, I mean, don't you think if you could, anyone listening to this, if they're at home or at work could probably in their field of vision, see something and has no idea who the actual person that that was designed for is. And like, I, you know, I'm I'm a guy. Guys tend to have bigger hands than women. But I have never seen an adult, male or female, of, you know, big ironic air quotes, average size, <laughs> who can put all four of their fingers through the handle of a coffee mug. <laughs> why are coffee mugs designed for just your first three fingers? <laughs> I mean, like, really, Why? <laughs> Who benefits from having their pinky tucked under the bottom of the mug oh,
0: you' not you're not a picky in the air kind of guy
1: well, I am because I'm a gentleman, but for <laughs> for the slobs out there that want to put all four fingers in like I mean for a child, I guess they could get their whole hand in there, but then somewhere depending on when your growth spurts are somewhere in your teenage years, it's just like like a rite of passage like oh you're above four finger in the mug handle age. <laughs> Well, Do you know the story about the 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 jets, the fighter pilot jets with the adjustable seats? No. So some many I, this may be apocryphal, but I'm going to speak it like it's truth. Some some many years ago, uh they were having all these problems in the Air Force and in the Navy with uh soldiers trying to fly planes and the cockpits in these fighter jets had you know, they're ridiculously complicated machines. They have all kinds of buttons and knobs and sticks and switches and toggles and things. And and they were having problems that they couldn't reach things or that it was too cramped or that things are too far away. And it turned out that the measurements for the cockpit were designed for an average man. And it turned out that there was like no one in all of the military who actually was those measures. Was an
0: average man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because these these are measurements that are taken across, you know, tens of thousands of individuals and then averaged out. And so that led to the invention or installation of adjustable chairs and adjustable, you know, controls and then all that stuff got backported into the auto industry and now we have, you know, bucket seats that move and all this.
0: Yeah, so much comes from our military. Uh, it's kind of yeah, nuts. I mean, the internet yeah, not all not is often basically... good things. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, that was it was half military, half uh, academia, right? But, but funded but, uh, by well, yes, enti- entirely. Growth. Yeah, but I, I do think it's thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> he did invent it, but I do think, like with the coffee mug thing, like I honestly believe that it's possible that someone took a measurement of a thousand people's hands and said, well, the average human hand is this size. And that is now the size that coffee mug handles will be forever. And no one said, wait, some of the hands you measured were children's hands and children don't typically drink coffee. And they're like, no, no, it's, we already did the calculation. It's too late. (laughs) Or it's just some
0: influential coffee mug that had that design is what everyone is just blindly creating. Um, you have to get to the bigger size. I mean, at least the the most. Well, I guess not anymore. But it used to be like coffee mugs were small enough that you wouldn't need four fingers of leverage to lift them. But coffee mugs get pretty damn big these days. But um, even even like that, a pint like, size coffee mug, you
1: you may not. You could probably, if you're an adult, you could probably just do like your index finger hooked in there. But but do you hold things that way? No, <laughs> no. you don't. How like, about if- some
0: of your fingers, but then bend the other ones out of the <laughs> way because just deal with it. This is not made for you.
1: That's exactly right. I just, I don't know. And and this is this is, is it a weird a weird
0: artifact of like pottery and the way things can solidly be like
1: flamed in the the oven maybe humans used to be smaller and they could get their whole hand in there i don't know but this is like the other side of the perception versus reality instead of having a fake door sound when the door or a real sound but a you know, a, a fake solid sound from a hollow object. I have a mug that works perfectly fine. I can pick it up. I can drink my beverage. I don't spill it. It it serves its purpose. And yet there's like this clawing in my mind, like, <laughs> why is your pinky out there? Like, I don't know why it's out there. I want it to be with its brethren. <laughs>
0: Do people? Is it sort of like people with huge phones that they they use their pinkies on the bottom for leverage? And
1: me, I was I was and am one of those people because even though I can hold it just fine on the side, I'm like, no, I gotta, <laughs> I need the extra support. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking.
0: I mean, I think I'll. I don't know about coffee mugs, but a lot of times it's the reason I want to like complain about obsessing over measurable things is. Maybe just because it's not that those measurable goals are bad. It's just they blind you from what's really going to happen. And uh, I, I'll be vague, but a place that we both have worked at that launched <laughs> <laughs> launched an intranet. And this intranet was intended to be a communication platform. And yet everyone's name that was plastered 500 times on the screen anytime you did anything was last name, comma, first. And, like, the very (laughs) first time I logged into this thing, I was like, last name, comma, first. Ha, that's dumb.
1: (laughs) But it It, really... It does make you feel like you're looking at business cards everywhere you go. It really
0: does. And it's like, what if everyone was at arm's length, but we want them to collaborate? And then it turns out this, like, callousness was present in other design elements of this internet. Uh, just the... You know weird rules about what you're allowed to do and say that we're kind of over like way too freaked out about adults behaving in the workplace, and it was just like this is kind of played out as they don't really want us to interact they want us to feel like we can interact without actually doing it and the last name comma first is just the straw and that breaks the camel 's back of that
1: well, this is probably the the u the x in the u x is the intersection of. People who respect uh, quantifiable measurements and research and data, but also there are some things we know are important but haven't found good ways to measure, right? Like someone who is as much a humanitarian as they are a scientist because – Putting, you know, whether it's a, a door that doesn't sound right or like a coffee mug with one of your fingers all jutted out to the side or last name comma first and no user setting to change it. Like <laughs> the, those things just have a an effect on the people who have to, you know, open the door, or drink the coffee or use the platform and it, not respecting that. Which I think is your point, right? Is these people just totally throw that out? They're like, "Well, you can hold your coffee. Why do you need to get your extra finger in there? Because I yeah. want it in there.
0: <laughs> Function achieved."
1: <laughs> yeah, and and this is is, uh, I'm sure there's someone right now shouting at their their iPod earbuds or whatever, like, "This is why Apple's so successful because they consider the whole experience." And I think that's true to a point but then they also are trying to change what people think the right experience that they should be having is
0: very opinionated on it. Yeah. (laughs) And you may disagree and that's kind of, you're out of luck if you disagree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I I do have one other anecdote about this that I I think is just kind of funny. And, And you having been in design now for a while, I kind of wonder if you're going to find this egregious or not. Um, my father has been in the paint industry for a long time, and uh, when he used to be in a store where he actually had to, like, mix paint and, and you know, deliver it to the customer, uh, somebody came in and they wanted to, like, repaint the front door of their house or something, and they said, like, here, I have this paint, but it's not enough. Can you match the color? So he goes into the back, and he matches it, and he comes back out, and they're like, no, nah, the, this one's, it's it's too yellow, so he goes in the back and he matches it and he comes back. And they're like, nah, now it's, it's got like a little too much blue. He's like, okay. So he goes in the back, and I mean, he's been doing this for a long time, right? Like yeah. He's he's pretty good at this. <laughs> he goes in the back, he matches it, he comes back, and they're like, ah, now it's got like a little too much gray. He's like, okay. So he goes in the back, and this you know this takes time. Like you got to mix yeah. it, you got to dry the sample. Like this this takes a lot of time for this story to unfold. He goes in the back, does nothing comes back out with the one they had complained about the least which he knew was the right one cuz yeah. he can see that they're the same color and he says here what do you think about this i think i really toned down the 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 yellow and the gray i, I think this one the is the notes of apple <laughs> yeah I, I think we we got the the hint of chocolate and vanilla just right it's got a woody kind of finish a, a good <laughs> a good mouth feel and and the the customer was like yes this is the right one and now for To make sure everybody's clear, my dad has the moral victory. He said, this is the same one I showed you the first time. And the customer, in their defense, was like, oh, yeah, just make me two gallons of this. And, like, that was it. Like, yeah. as soon as that person realized that all of the, the mismatch was in their head and not actually in the color, thank God they were willing to, like, accept it. But yeah. I just, like he knew he had the right color. Like you can see these two things are the same color. It wasn't the lighting. It wasn't an optical illusion. This person just did not believe that this color could be matched.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is how faulty our, our senses are. Um, my favorite version of that story is ask any sound guy about someone who, (laughs) who wants more of themselves in the monitor. And if it's a bad night or they're being a dick to the sound guy, he will just wiggle (laughs) his arms and go, is that good? And then ninety nine percent of the time they'll go, "Yeah, sounds better," and nothing <laughs> changed.
1: <laughs> Do you have you done that to people?
0: No, I, I try to avoid running sound unless it's, <laughs> unless it's an education conference.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that was a fun time. But th- this is. Uh, do you think these are better served as teachable moments, where after you prove to the person that nothing changed and now they're happy, you should reveal it to them? Like, <laughs> like are you are you a good at guy, my dad, peril. or are you a bad guy, sound guy?
0: Uh, uh, people don't usually do well being woken up from a dream, <laughs> <laughs> unless you do. Unless you're good at it. It sounds like your dad is good at it. Um, I'm telling
1: you, he's been doing it a long time.
0: Yeah. I mean this is this is why the There is no spoon is kind of part of where I come from as the existentialist <laughs> side. Um you know, not everyone loves Derrida, but he had the quote, There is no outside the text and it's like we wanna be objective, we wanna measure things, but ultimately we are still inside the cultural paradigms that we grew up with and the stories and the meaning of all these objects. And it's better to be aware of those things than to pretend we can be one hundred percent free of all of them because then you're not a human anymore you're not even
1: probably conscious anymore all right so here now and i'm I'm not trying to be tricksy; it's just you know a lot more philosophy than I do um, would it could you have in some theoretical society could you install a cultural value? Where people are willing to accept more willing to accept that things they had held a belief about are wrong or that uh, they could take a different tack on, like could you not trying to make everyone completely objective, but just knowing that if you wake any random person, any random stranger up from a dream that they 're not going to slap you across the face
0: well, I think you find a tremendous variety in human cultures on the kinds of reasoning they value and the the kinds of you know the 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 hard thing in all this is again, with the objective type thing is there's data and somehow we turn data into knowledge, but most things are some weird part of the process in between <laughs> where we, you know, you decide the lens you're viewing the data through. You decide um, lots of things that are different than just the the perfect scientific instrument measuring something. And it, it's where it gets complicated. But, and, you know, I was just talking to, to Duncan about how... um in he was describing in Japan that at at concerts I don't know if this is true and I'm totally not like if if you know
1: <laughs> you're just repeating an anecdote it's yeah. fine um, disclaimer
0: that uh, they people just leave their bags at the back of a venue they aren't locked up or anything and that it's so ingrained to respect other people's property and here's what we're here to do and not to whatever that they don't have to have crazy security measures or rules because society somehow was steered into valuing this user experience of a concert. And can our topic, which you can find it at sunriserobot.net <laughs> slash bits and pieces, we were talking about how it's really obnoxious how everyone holds phones up and records crappy versions of concerts and disrupts your view. True. and that. But you know, wait,
1: wait, I just have a quick aside. Are you okay with people holding lighters up or do you also hate that?
0: I mean, that's pretty cheesy and (laughs) i guess if it's a a rock ballad you kind of want it it's it's part of part of the ritual but every concert it's kind of ridiculous part Um, of the user experience (laughs) um so some artists are saying we're going to confiscate phones before you go into the venue because this is so annoying and it's i think what i take issue it's like there's so many different cultures that have achieved some of these things because they've made it important. And you could probably find some other corner of the culture where you're like, how come you guys are overlooking this? This is really important. And you guys just don't give a shit <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I think the, the catch is you can't really directly change culture. It's always this weird laggy process of generations and unexpected sources of change that I don't think you can, well, I don't know. Maybe someone will figure out a scientific machine for, doing culture but it seems like that's that's the hardest problem of all is how do you influence culture intentionally
1: well and even as i phrased my question to you i was realizing that that would completely it you couldn't really do that because if you ingrained in people to be open to any of their preconceived notions being wrong you would eventually just end up with people with no preconceived notions which mean you can have no cultural norms you would have to critically assess everything you encountered which would be impossible. And we're not
0: built that way. We make assumptions constantly, and it serves us very well in lots of situations.
1: Yes, pattern matching is a fundamental part of being a human. And and I mean that by every time I see a door with a big metal rectangle, I assume it (laughs) means push because... 99 times out of 100 it does mean push but i am super pissed that 100th time (laughs) and everyone thinks you
0: look dumb and it's like no the door is dumb
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm not dumb the door is dumb pattern matching is dumb everyone else (laughs) is wrong but this is i hopefully there's some kind of a happy medium where you could have people who are open to uh being critical of things without it like Giving them a, a total mental breakdown, yeah, and and yet still have well, that's uh, the best lots of no- yeah, yeah, the
0: the data that measures things people care about with the compelling story is the most powerful design you can do. I think I'm shooting from the hip. There's probably more <laughs> factors involved. Also, it needs to be cheap, and you need to be able to beat your competitors'
1: market and all these other things. But. <laughs> That business 101 but swooping in there at the
0: end. If you can say, hey, our you know, our Casper mattress is better and cheaper, then you win the story. And here's a hundred oh, oh, days to figure wait, it out.
1: Wait, wait. That is an interesting example because <laughs> you can't say our thing is better and too much cheaper because we have a cultural norm yeah. around price equaling quality. So yeah. y- even if you could make – please sponsor us, Casper. I love your bed so much. <laughs> even if you could make a Casper mattress for $10 right, and sell it for $100, which factored in all of the delivery people, all of the maintenance, all the warehouse, and somehow you could do this this for so cheap. If you as a consumer go to a mattress store and it's like, you know, a thousand $1, dollars, eleven hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars, $1, fifteen hundred dollars, a hundred dollars. You would be like, What is that piece of garbage? Like, is it when, trash bags filled with grass clippings?
0: <laughs> no one will pay for music anymore. Um, <laughs> exactly right. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, humans are funny, <laughs> but ignore the funniness at your own peril, I guess, is my main point. <laughs>
1: Yeah this this entire conversation has been fascinating and illuminating and super sad because all I can think about I don't think I'm, it's that sad. <laughs> well I'm I'm waffling the thing that I'm sad about is I'm waffling between all of the the things I know people probably are I don't want to say wrong but wrong about on a daily basis because they refuse to consider it from another point of view or to learn more about the subject. Which is making me think about, oh my God, how many things must I be doing that about on a daily basis? But because I can only see the world through my lens, I'm like, no, it's the children <laughs> who are wrong.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, our egos force us to have some confidence in our lens, but it's good to have a little doubt. Just mix in some yeah. doubt in there.
1: Just, just, just a little bit, a little <laughs> tiny bit. This is, uh you know, we don't get to do these super ultra-cerebral philosophical episodes too much, but they're always so much fun. I agree. You, you ready to put a bow on this?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Uh, as always, uh thank you for listening through to, to the end of Flipping Tables. This, this was episode 5 cubed, or 125, <laughs> and... uh You can always find show notes. Uh, We don't have a lot of links this episode, but uh, you can find show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 125. And oh my God, did we not mention it before this? Or did we? Uh, Nope. Wow. I
1: I actually thought you were going to once, but you were actually pimping uh, bits and pieces, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits
0: and (laughs) pieces. And did did we not crap on Microsoft the whole time?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've made it the whole time. I actually my-
0: had a note to crap on them because <laughs> I, I'm going to do it now because we were not allowed to leave without doing it. They won't you, let me you, out of this room. <laughs> you got to do it. Um, and that's their their progress bar that isn't a progress bar that just goes to the end and then starts over. Um, versus on OS X you have the pinwheel or the beach ball of death, which everyone loves to joke about too. At least the beach ball doesn't pretend it's finishing something. It just spins infinitely. And I find that to be more honest while something is crashing or taking too long.
1: Yeah, and mentally you kind of – you get to know your machine, so you build up an understanding of like five seconds of beach ball is normal when I'm launching Photoshop – so if it's more than five or ten seconds, or you had enough time to like get up and go refill your coffee, and you come back and it's still spinning, you're like, "That's too long." Yeah. Something has happened. But with the the lie percentage, you're just like ninety percent, ninety five, a hundred, twenty. Yeah. What? It, it <laughs> pretends that it's
0: got information for you, and it's got nothing. So that's that's I, my I, little I, crap on
1: Microsoft. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I vastly prefer the. I'm working on something. I'll be done when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Then the like fifteen seconds remaining, ten seconds remaining, twenty-seven seconds remaining. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you on this. Screw you, Microsoft. Yeah.
0: Anyway, back to the, the ending <laughs> ritual. Uh me and David love feedback and we actually have a, a Reddit community going at Reddit.com slash R slash flipping tables. We uh post every episode there for ongoing discussion Uh, one of our favorite things to do is all the the great funny titles we don't use get posted there um for your entertainment um so we'll be on there we're also on twitter i'm at pseudo michael s-u-d-o michael and david you are at lions in beta And uh, if you head to our website, you can also subscribe to our show. We have an RSS button and an iTunes button. Or the easy way is if you have a podcast app, I use Overcast for iOS. Uh, You're still using uh, Pocket Casts. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just search uh, Sunrise Robot or Flipping Tables, and then you can just tap the subscribe button right there. Um, That way you'll get new episodes every week automatically without even thinking about it. If you want to support us more directly, uh, there's a couple of things. You could go to iTunes, and even if you hate iTunes and don't use it, um, you can leave us a rating and a review there. Um, And then you can also go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars. It's kind of our tip jar of sorts. And uh, that just helps us keep the lights on and uh, keep the shows rolling. Uh, And with that, I want to give special thanks to our superstar Patreon sponsors, uh, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Cunningham, comma, first, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ida Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. We love you all so much.
1: We hope you never get stuck behind one of those terrible doors. (laughs) All right. See you next week. See you next week.